Hey ladies, welcome to the Woman Podcast. My name's Katie Beza and I'm your host. And this episode is a continuation of a teaching series that we have started this year in 2021. So our good friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And this teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. If you're local and you'd like to join in person, we would love to have you. We meet Thursdays at noon. And we hope this resource helps you as you read along in the book of Luke. And we hope that it encourages you that you can read the Word of God and you can get something out of it. So tune in and we hope you enjoy. I don't want you guys to hear from me. And I don't want you to hear from Heather and just be like, man, that thought they had, that was a good thought. I want what the Lord does with this Bible study for it to be seed that is planted in you that flourishes and multiplies. In other words, that God gives you the ability to get into His Word for yourself, for it to become alive to you, so alive on the inside of you that you know you have to get it to someone else. Does that make sense? Whether God puts on your heart to lead a small group, I wanna encourage you, if you've never thought about doing that in your life, maybe consider it or if he puts on your heart to mentor somebody, or you just have someone in your life that you know, they just don't know the first thing about getting into the Word of God, that God could use whatever he's planning inside of you to multiply and pass it on to other people that desperately need the truth of Jesus, okay? So that's my prayer for us, and I wanna pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in your presence. We thank you that your Word is alive that it is powerful, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it is able to penetrate the deepest thoughts of our heart. Lord God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law today, that you would be lifted high, that you would draw all of us unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Does somebody want to read just the first two verses? Okay, two little verses. There's a lot that happens in those verses, right? Jesus calls who together? The 12 disciples, right? Do y'all remember the significance of the number 12? Yes, it is God's government. Remember, I think Heather mentioned it last week, right? So you will see that number appear throughout Scripture. So if you know that that number means God's government, why do you think he chooses 12 guys to be like his lead disciples? 12 guys are gonna start establishing God's kingdom on earth. And more specifically, they are going to start planting churches. So he is trying to let us know that his design from the very beginning when he wanted his church to start was that he would gather 12 guys and that these guys collectively would lead his church. Okay, so that's why he picks 12. Does anyone know who the 12 are? Anyone memorized? Don't feel bad, I haven't either, okay? But if you remember in Luke chapter six, it tells us who the 12 are. So I'm gonna help you guys cheat. Let's go to Luke chapter six, verse 12. This is when Jesus picks these guys. And the reason I wanted to go back to this is we did not focus on this a lot when we taught this section. So I wanna start with where Jesus chose these 12 guys. So verse 12 says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Okay, let's pause there. He did what? Spent the night what? Okay, what'd y'all spend last night doing? 
right? I mean, I pray at night and then sometimes I very quickly fall asleep while I'm praying. Jesus spent the night praying before he did what? Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Verse 13. I was just seeing who's prophetic in here. Anyway, okay. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Okay, so Jesus goes out on the mountainside to pray. He spends the entire night praying. I just wish I knew when Jesus holds a prayer vigil all night long with his father, what did that look like for him? You know, he didn't have like a iPhone to throw on some worship music from YouTube, right? And like get in the mood and then like spend the night like talking to his father. He goes to a mountainside, like he's camping. Have y'all ever camped and spent the entire night praying to God? Like I, this is so fascinating to me. But Jesus is selecting 12 guys. I'm thinking it's Jesus, right? He's God in the flesh. He's connected with his father. The Holy Spirit moves freely through him. Why does he have to spend all night to hear from God on who these 12 guys should be? Doesn't it tell you the weight of the decision he was making? He was choosing 12 men that would start the kingdom of God on earth through Jesus, through the message of Jesus, a kingdom that would never stop. It would never end. And you and I are sitting in the room today as fruit, as proof that what Jesus established in this moment is still growing. It is still flourishing. It is still encircling the globe. This was a huge decision. And I'm thinking, you know, Jesus heard from his father easily. Surely he knew the list like in the first hour. But somehow he knew what was about to happen was so important. He wanted his father's heart on the inside of him before he began to personally train up these guys in a situation where these 12 would be invited into his inner circle. You know, we all have like circles of friends, you know? We've got that like Instagram friendship, like, you know, we're friends on Instagram or Facebook, right? Does that mean you're friends? No, I mean, you could maybe not have seen them in 15 years, but Facebook says you're friends, right? My mom sometimes will share stories with me and she'll be like, I was talking with Carla the other day and this is going on in her life. And I'm like, when did you see Carla? She's like, you know, on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, you weren't talking to Carla. You were kind of talking to Carla, but we all do it, right? We have circles of friends. So these 12 guys, these are not Jesus's Facebook friends. These are not his Instagram friends, right? These are the guys he brings over for Thanksgiving. These are the guys when things are going good that he is celebrating with, when things are going rough that he is talking through the situations with. These, this is like his tribe, his team, his crew, his inner circle, okay? So these 12 guys are very important. He wanted to be led by his father in who it was and he wanted his father's heart so he could immediately begin downloading the heart of the father into these guys. So who did he choose? Somebody read the names, verse 14 and 15. Luke 6. Okay, so those are the names. Isn't it interesting? A lot of them have two names, right? One of my friend says sometimes it's your government name and your real name, okay? So these people had government names and they had real names. Why does Peter actually have two names? 
Right, he had a given name, the name his father named him, but he has an encounter with Jesus we're gonna read about hopefully at the very end. And in this moment, Jesus changes his name, changes his identity, changes his purpose, changes everything about him, okay? It's really powerful. So he selects these 12 guys. He knows all of a sudden, after he spends all night praying to his father, he knows who his father wants it to be that he's gonna establish the church through and what his father is wanting him to start downloading into these guys' hearts. Now, I want you to understand there had already been a crowd of disciples following Jesus, a greater amount of people that had been following him from town to town as he's teaching and doing miracles. Some of them were personal recipients of miracles. Some of them, Jesus had touched a friend or a family member of theirs. Some of them had heard his teaching and thought, we've never heard any man like this. So they had been traveling and following with them. Out of this group is how Jesus selects the 12, okay? Verse 17 in Luke chapter six, it says, he went down with them and stood on a level place. So Jesus prays all night, gets the 12 names tells the guys who they're gonna be. So he's looking at, you know, it could be 150 people and out of this 150 says, you are gonna be my top 12. He goes down with them, stands on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples is there and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus is amazing. I mean, I hope we never lose the wonder of Jesus. I mean, after spending all night praying to his father, people just knew if they got close and touched him, they would receive healing. It's just so powerful. Okay, so he chooses his 12 and then he communicates for the very first time to his disciples after he's made this very important choice. So I wanna tell you this communication is kind of like the orientation speech. You know, have you ever like started something brand new, whether it's college for the first time and you get the freshman orientation speech or you try out for some sort of team or athletic group and then it's your first day with them and you get the orientation speech from the coach or the teacher, right? And what's an orientation speech supposed to do? Yeah, let you know what's coming. Let you know what it's gonna be like. Welcome to the team. Here's what you can expect. Here's what's gonna happen, okay? So this is Jesus's orientation speech to his disciples. And this is what he says. Verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. I just want to make sure we got the first speech Jesus gives to his disciples, okay? He chooses 12 guys, then he joins the bigger group of disciples. He looks straight at his disciples and says, you're gonna be poor, hungry, you're gonna weep, and you will be hated. Welcome to the team. 
okay? I want you to let that resonate because these guys had walked with Jesus and they had seen Jesus the miracle worker, Jesus speaking the words of God. They had been left in wonder time and time again as they watched the power of the Holy Spirit flow through Jesus effortlessly. So you can imagine why they'd wanna be on his team. What do you think they're thinking is about to happen? Yeah, we're gonna be popular. We're gonna get to walk on water. We're gonna cast out demons. We're gonna see miracles happen. I mean, they are literally, they have been handpicked by the miracle worker himself. So you can imagine they're like looking at everybody else like, your name wasn't on the list. I made the team. You know, Peter is, you know, Peter, who we all resonate with. The guys always break out into fights over who's gonna be greatest, right? Which makes me feel better because they're thinking about things that are always off the point from what Jesus is trying to get them to think about. Jesus is like, I'm gonna die. And then it's like, and then the disciples broke out into a fight over who would be greatest. And I feel like Jesus is like, is anyone listening? I'm gonna die. And you're worried about who's gonna be greatest, right? But it just helps me because I'm like, I'm that distractible. I very easily should be thinking about Jesus and all of a sudden get distracted and self-obsessed and self-focused and where am I in all of this and what is my future gonna look like and what is this gonna mean for me? And this is what happens with the disciples. So you know they have watched all of the glory of God come through Jesus time and time again and they are in it for the glory and then Jesus looks at them and says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who weep now for for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and insult you and mock you and say all kinds of terrible things about you. In fact, you're not only blessed, which means happy, but rejoice and leap for joy in that day because that is how they treated my prophets. I love this speech because Jesus is trying to say the very reverse of what we think is true. And that is hardship means the blessing of God is upon us. And we don't think that. Not in our American culture that is built around comfort and building a platform to yourself and your own name. When we see somebody going through something hard, whether we admit it or not, a lot of us wonder, is this because of something they've done? Is this a punishment? Right? And what do we, when we think somebody is really blessed by God, what are the things that come to our mind? Maybe God's given them a great job opportunity. Maybe they got a promotion. Maybe they've gotten a huge financial blessing. When we think of people who lived blessed lives, we're not thinking the poor, the hungry, those who are weeping, those who have been hated, right? Jesus says the very opposite of what we tend to think. That's why when I'm telling you that being a part of the kingdom of God means living in an upside down kingdom, often the way God thinks is literally the reverse of how humans think. The Bible says, what's that verse? For my ways are not your ways. Is it in Isaiah maybe? For my ways are not your ways. This is God speaking. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are from the earth. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Okay, so I went off. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so that little teaching, that little section where he says, blessed are you, those are called the Beatitudes. It's from the Latin word, Beatus means happy or blessed. 
It means a state of utmost bliss, supreme happiness, or great joy. So Jesus tells them, when you follow me, he is preparing them not for the incredible mountaintop moments that are going to happen, but instead times of suffering and difficulty. He does not focus on the moments of glory, but he says, blessed are you when these things happen. And then he warns them against comfort, pleasure, and applause. He goes on to say, but woe to you who are rich. Woe means an interjection of grief. Be cautious. This is not a good thing. Woe to you who who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus does not play, does he? How many of you are like, okay, following Jesus means I might be poor, I might be hungry and people might hate me. Can I please sign up? I think sometimes when we encourage people to follow Christ, we kind of say the very opposite of what Jesus says right here to his disciples. Like if you follow Jesus, your life is gonna be easy. It's gonna be more blessed. Everything is gonna be awesome. And I think sometimes people that don't know the word believe us and follow Jesus thinking it's just gonna mean a lot of great things and not that following Jesus doesn't mean great things because his spirit is living on the inside of us. And we do have his word and his promises to stand on, but it doesn't mean we're not going to go through a lot of hardship, right? And Jesus is trying to tell us that our attitude, I love the Beatitudes. There's a lot of ways you can say that it means blessed, happy, but I like to think it means a beautiful attitude, okay? That's not in um, Blue Letter Bible. That's just the way I think about it. But Jesus is trying to say that our attitudes are not based on our circumstances. They are based in God's promise. We have a choice in the emotional state we are walking in. It does not have to be controlled by the circumstance in front of us. Through the Lord, through his word and through his promise, we can have joy even when we endure much suffering. Okay, Luke 9, 1. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He gives them what? What does it say he gives them? Power and authority. Okay, this is really fascinating, right? Because this is before Jesus' sacrifice to forgive our sin has happened. What do I mean by that? Why is that a point that matters? Okay, they didn't really have full salvation yet because salvation had to be placing our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus to atone for our sins and that sacrifice had not happened. Furthermore, what it means is the Holy Spirit could not live on the inside of them yet. Okay, because how can someone who is holy inhabit someone who is not holy? It it's only because another person who was holy willingly gave his life to be the covering for us so that when the father looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness instead of our sin, okay? That is what made the way for the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. So these guys don't have that yet. They don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them because Jesus' sacrifice had not been made. And yet they're given power and authority to do the things that Jesus is doing. Isn't this mind-blowing? Can you imagine what that would be like? They're not fully saved, okay? Let's just say it that way. 
They're not fully saved. And they can go out and pray for people and see demons cast out of their lives and diseases are removed from people. Broken bodies are healed right in front of them and they're proclaiming the kingdom of God. I love how inclusive the Lord is. So often we think in terms of you're not eligible to be used by God yet. And Jesus qualifies them simply because they have watched him do ministry day in and day out. And then he sends them out with his power and authority and says, go and do what I did. Okay, isn't that amazing? Does he even go with them? He didn't even go with them. I mean, you talk about trust, right? Okay, let's keep going. So he gives them power and authority. Where does it come from? Okay, so the power and authority comes from the Father, but this is the Holy Spirit that he's sending with them. Matthew 28, the the great commission verse, it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by my Father. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We know that verse, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So he's basically called his 12 guys together, said, you are gonna be my lead disciples and you are gonna go out from here and make disciples of all nations. Now this is at the very end of, this is after like resurrection that he says this to them. But that includes you and I, right? What nation are we a part of? The United States of America right now. But as far as I can tell, that's included in all nations, So you and I today are still the product of what Jesus said to these disciples at this point. So when he said, I'm giving you my power and my authority, you are my disciple, that that word simply means to, where do I have it? To follow one's precepts and instructions. That's what the word disciple means, that you're following the instructions and the precepts of someone. So they are his disciples, then they will go out from there and make disciples of all nations, which includes you and I. I'm saying that because as we read how Jesus instructs his disciples, you and I need to insert ourselves into the story because what he is teaching them, he is teaching us. As they have been chosen to be disciples, so you and I have been chosen to be disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. As he gives them the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, he gives that to us. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, In John 14, he reiterates it to them. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. When he says he's with you, that's what they saw, the Holy Spirit with them as they would go out into town after town doing what Jesus told them to do. Verse three, it says, he told them, take nothing for the journey. Now, as women, I really want you to insert yourself into this moment, okay? This is pre-cars. They're gonna walk where they go, okay? It's gonna take them a while to get there. You imagine if somebody's like, okay, I want you to head into Little Rock and I want you to just start sharing the kingdom of God and pray for all the sick and cast out demons and you're gonna walk to get there. First of all, how, how long, has anyone walked to Little Rock? I mean, it's 30 minutes by car, but I can't even imagine how long it would take. But this is what they're doing, okay? He says, take no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. What? Okay, why do they need a staff? Maybe it's protection, yeah. I really didn't know. I'm asking this not because I have the secret answer, but I would just love your thoughts. Why did they need a staff? Maybe it was protection. 
Maybe it's like after a while of walking, they need a little extra help. I don't know about you, but 30 minutes to Little Rock, you know, after my first hour on foot, I think I'd be like, can I have a staff, right? Okay, so no staff, no bag, no bag. What's that mean? Yeah, you don't get to pack anything to take it with you. Where is it? No chapstick, no money, no bread, no snacks. That's my language, right? Anytime I get on the plane, I'm like, I can do better than peanuts. I am packing some snacks. Anybody with me, right? And then once you have kids, it's just kind of like part of life. You don't go anywhere without snacks. I mean, it's like the worst thing you can think of to be somewhere with no snacks. Okay, and no extra shirt, some say cloaks, some say, what, why does Jesus want them to travel so light? So they can be completely dependent upon him. Can you imagine if you're sent by the Lord to go into a town you've never been to, you take nothing with you, no bag, no food, no money, no staff for protection. Where are you getting just your basic needs met? From the Lord. You don't know where you're staying that night. You don't know if you're going to eat. You don't know if somebody's going to provide a meal for you and have compassion on you or not. You don't know if you're going to be in danger on your way because you're traveling by foot. You don't know anything that's going to happen except Jesus told you to go and he says he will be with you. Can you imagine how much dependence we would learn in the Lord if we were like this? If we traveled like this. Okay, and then the other thing I love is that Jesus did not go on their first assignment with them. What do you, why do you think he didn't go? Okay, you step out and do it. Use the authority you've been given. What? They'll learn the hard way? Yes, it's like an apprenticeship. What do you mean by that? Okay, she said it so beautifully. Did y'all hear that? If anyone is in an apprenticeship, until the teacher is removed from the situation, you're constantly asking, is this the right way to do it? You have to be removed to know you can do it. What I love is he's already training them for what's gonna happen after he ascends and they're on assignment. They're gonna be doing exactly what they had been doing from day one, leaning into the voice of the Holy Spirit, learning to do what Jesus did simply because they saw his example. So they get into a town, they're like, what do we do? Well, we saw Jesus do it. So we'll start a conversation with people the way Jesus did. We'll pray for the sick the way Jesus did. We'll pay attention to the needs that are showing up around us the way that Jesus did. Okay, I'm about to close this down even though I have so much because I want you guys to get into scripture. Okay, uh, let's fast forward Luke chapter 10. The reason I'm fasting, fasting forward, fast forwarding is because it's a very parallel story and I want you to hear them both together. So Luke chapter 10, verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I love that. Can we just pause right there? God is saying he recognizes that the need is greater than the people that are available to meet the need. And the answer is simply pray. 
Just ask the Father and He will give you more. If you have ever been in a place of in your life where you felt like what God is requiring of you is too great for you to carry alone, Jesus gives us the key to that problem right here. What does He say? Just ask the Father to send more workers. I remember in the early days of Brandon and I leading worship at church here at Conway Campus and then at the Maumelle Church. And then eventually we joined teams and did one big rotating team. But in the early days, I remember there were times where we were like, we don't know if we have a drummer. Drummer is like one of the worst things to not have. But there were times where we were like, we don't know if we have a drummer. We don't know if we have a guitar player. And I remember Brandon and I had several moments where we're like, God, this is your church. These are your people. You've called and equipped us to lead worship. But we've got to have you send the people to help. Because we don't know where they're at, but we need a full band on Sunday morning. And right now we're like one or two short. And God began to be faithful and send. Like we're 20 years into the church now. And it's amazing to me how every time a new need has arisen, we have watched God bring the right person to fill that need. I'll never forget when we were one, uh, like two campuses, but functioning as one rotating team. And then Rick drops the you know vision of 50 campuses. And he's like, and we're gonna do worship at all those. And Brandon and I are like, we're doing what? How are we doing this? Like, where are these 50 teams coming from? But as each spot has opened up, God has been faithful to send the person. Uh, So it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, 72 others, so that he had his 12 lead guys, then 72 others. Can anyone do the math real fast? Not Heather, someone else. That's not her strength. 84. Okay, is anything significant about 84? Don't stress yourself. If you look up 84, you're probably not gonna see it. What were you gonna say, Carrie? It's seven sets of 12. Way to go, Carrie. She's good. You're good at math, aren't you? Okay, so 12 is God's perfect government. So when he establishes a church, his idea is that he wants 12 lead families to be leading that church. And here he gathers a group of seven 12s. Okay, because seven is the number of completeness or perfection. You will see seven all throughout scripture, right? So completeness is seven. God's perfect government is 12. He gathers a group of seven 12s together. And let's just fast forward to Revelation two and three when Jesus himself instructs John to start sending out letters to the churches, right? From Jesus himself. How many churches get letters? Seven. So Jesus is not just coincidentally picking 72 guys. He's intentionally calling together the amount of leaders it will take to establish seven strong churches. Okay? So that's where the 72 others come from, which is awesome. And again, he says, don't take a bag or purse or sandals, not even an extra pair of shoes. And do not greet anyone on the road. And then he says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. I'm gonna fast forward. And then he goes down and says, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Okay, I think I would be like the 72. What would you be rejoicing about if you went and did what Jesus had asked you to? And you're coming back with these amazing stories of victory that you can't believe. He did for the 72 what he did for the 12. He gave them his power and authority in the Holy Spirit. They went and did what they saw Jesus do and they came back rejoicing at what? The power, right? That's what I I would be like, God, I mean, Jesus, you should have been there. 
you'd have been so proud of us. Like we said this and then this happened. Like you can imagine they're giving him the play by play, right? And then what does Jesus say? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He very quickly is trying to set up a guard that when we follow the Lord, it is so easy for us to become focused on the glory and the power that is involved in what God has called us to do. And he is saying, never forget the miracle of your own salvation is the greatest miracle you will ever see in your life. Don't ever become so anointed in ministry or mature in ministry that you forget you are just as in need as the biggest sinner in the crowd. We can never get to a place where we think we don't need Jesus as desperately as the person who is furthest from him that we are trying to reach. Okay, we're going to stop there.